If you'd remain standing for our scripture, which comes from Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. In the past, God spoke through the prophets to our ancestors in many times and many ways. In these final days, though, He spoke to us through a son. God made His Son the heir of everything and created the world through Him. The Son is the light of God's glory and the imprint of God's being. He maintains everything with His powerful message. After He carried out the cleansing of people from their sins, He sat down at the right hand of the highest majesty. And so the Son became so much greater than the other messengers, such as angels, that He received a more important title than theirs. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. This morning we're going to be looking at continuing our sermon series where we're looking at the building blocks of faith, the essentials of Christian faith and belief. And one of the ways that we are reminded and we reaffirm our faith is by reciting different creeds or affirmations of faith. Two of the more popular ones or the more uh, lasting ones in terms of history are the Nicene Creed, which was written in 325 A.D., and then the one that we've been reciting and looking at today and during the, this sermon series, the Apostles' Creed. In these series or in the Apostles' Creed, when you and I share in these words, we recite 12 statements of faith. And so whenever we gather together and whenever we say these statements, we are affirming what we believe and what we declare is essential as followers of God and as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so these 12 statements are, are essential. And in a sense, they set the boundaries of what it means to be an orthodox follower of Jesus Christ and what it means for us to be Christian. A couple of weeks ago, I was discussing this sermon series with one of my friends. He's a preacher in Abilene. Some of you know him. He went to Israel in 2017. Uh, he went to a different seminary than I did. And so when as we were talking about this, um, this sermon series and, and just about the Apostles' Creed and what it meant, he shared with me an example that one of his professors used when describing the Apostles' Creed and why it is important and why it is important for us to declare and to know these basic statements of faith in terms of who we are and what we believe so that we have a grounding or a foundation on which we can build our lives and everything else. And so I'd like to share with you this example. I'm sure I can't do it as well as, as he was given it, but I want to begin by asking you to picture a field. A field has to be green. Now picture a fence that surrounds the field. If we were Bob Ross, we'd say we're going to paint a happy little fence around this field. Now I want you to picture this field with the fence around it, and we're going to put some animals in there. Now depending who you are, depending how well your fence is, your animals are either going to stay in there, and they're going to be able to wander around and eat and do what they need to do. And no matter where they're at in this fenced-in area, right, wherever they go, they are still technically in your field, correct? What if an animal gets out of the fence? Then there's a problem. That animal is no longer contained. 
In fact, a couple weeks ago, was it a couple weeks ago? When did we drive to Albuquerque? Last week. Feels like a month ago. Uh, we were in between Fort Sumner and Santa Rosa, and there was a beef cow on the side of the highway and a man on horseback on the other side of the highway trying to catch that beef cow, and it didn't look like it was going to happen very easily. Um, and then I thought, that's insane because not only is the guy having to pay attention to his horse, but also vehicles and the cow. Um, but anyway, um, so we know that, that that's not the plan, right? Is the fence's purpose is to keep us within or to keep uh, the animals within, to keep them safe, to keep them be- grounded, to provide for them what they need. And so our belief as we think about the Christian faith is similar to this field. Our field, or the belief, is, is, is our belief system, is this field surrounded by the fence. And so if you want to think about the Apostles' Creed in terms of what it means to be Christians who believe and state the essentials of faith, then the fence is like the Apostles' Creed. Where it provides for us boundaries or statements of faith that we build our faith upon, but it also allows us some room to believe a little differently, but we still have to stay in that basic fenced-in area, correct? So we could still share in the main ideas of what it means to be a Christian, of main beliefs of what it means to be a Christian. We can still look at at these, these main statements of faith as we're talking faith even with people of other Christian traditions. And we can declare that there are essentials which is the Apostles' Creed, that we say we may differ in, in, in our understanding of, of what it means when we take communion, but we still can agree on what the, the basic foundations are of what we believe and who Jesus was and of who God was and of how Jesus has chosen to relate to us as his brother and as God's son. And see, when we go outside the fence, then our theology or our belief or our understanding is outside the norm of Christian understanding and belief. Does that make sense? So as I was thinking, uh, last week we talked about how the statement of faith that said, I believe in, in God the Father, the Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. And so if you put that statement of faith on this field then there is room for people to have differing understandings or, or slightly different understandings of how God might be our Father and God might be our Creator and how God has chosen to relate to each of us. However, if we hear someone saying, and we looked at this example last week, that they are saying that God does not relate to Jesus as a Father, then friends, that's outside the fence line. Because the Scripture tells us that God is the Father. The Scripture tells us that Jesus had said, why would I not be in my father's house when he was questioned by Mary and Joseph, correct? And so I think this provides us kind of a visual and a nice way for us to think about what it means for us to have these basics or these essentials when it comes to being a follower of Jesus Christ and a disciple in relationship with God, especially as we think about what that means for us today in the Apostles' Creed. So this morning we're going to be looking at the second statement of faith which says, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. This statement of faith, friends, is the one that is the very heart of what it means for us to be Christians, isn't it? 
In the heart of the Apostles' Creed, this statement of faith where we declare who Jesus is and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and is the Lord, there are six phrases in the Apostles' Creed, six statements of faith that you and I will recite each and every time we share in these words. That's because Jesus is important. And the six statements tell us about the life, they tell us about the ministry, and they tell us about the resurrection of Jesus. And so I want to begin by inviting you to think about this question. What does it mean or what is essential for us to be Christian? What's essential for us to be a follower of Jesus Christ? I mean, I think the main thing and the first thing that we need to all be able to claim and articulate and say is important to us is that you have to be a follower of Jesus Christ to be a Christian. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the center of the New Testament, that Jesus is the entire reason that the Gospels and that the good news were written. Friends, we can't be Christians if we don't believe in Jesus. If you're willing to say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't really believe that Jesus was the Son of God. I don't really believe that Jesus is any of the five other statements that we're going to look at over the next five weeks. That that would be where we are outside of the fence line. Because for 2,000 years, people have professed and have seen and have stated and lives have been changed and transformed by Jesus being the Son of God. And here's the thing too, if you think about other world religions... There are lots of religions that claim to believe in God, don't they? Some might have a different name for God. Some might have a different understanding of how God relates to his people. But the only religion that has a God who gave himself up because of his love for those that followed him is the Christian faith. Is that God is revealing himself to us in Jesus Christ and that's unique to Christians. Faith in Christ is what, is what sets Christianity apart. And with Jesus as the center of the gospel, understandably, some of the greatest heresies and false teachings of the church are those that centered around Jesus Christ. There's a couple I'm going to share with you really fast. One group was called the Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. They believed that Jesus was not fully God. They believed that God was too holy, that God would never be able to condescend to enter human flesh and to walk upon the earth. This means that they believed that God was quite simply too great, too righteous, too perfect to be able to die on the cross and to be able to do what Jesus did for each of us. They believed that God was too much to be able to face sin, to face temptation, to, face, to, to be crucified. And that there was no way that, that God who was so holy and great and righteous and everything else could be put to death. And so they believed that Jesus Christ was not and could not be God in the flesh. Another group was the Arians. They followed a man named Arius. He believed that Jesus was a created being. And so what he said and what he articulated and what his followers were believed was that Jesus was fully a man, which we believe Jesus was fully man, but we also believe that he was fully divine. And so Arius believed that Jesus could only be fully man, that he couldn't have or, or share in the divinity or, or the, the holiness of God. He wasn't fully God. You know, around Christmas, if, if you're friends with any preachers um, who share memes on Facebook, they always share the meme of St. Nicholas smacking Arius in one of the, 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 the great councils of the church, the Council of Nicaea. 
Because that was one of the major things that caused the Nicene Creed to be formed. It caused the Apostles' Creed to be, to be, um, to be formalized and set. Because of challenges like both the Gnostics and the Arians that caused people to step back and caused the church to realize that they needed something. They needed 12 statements of faith. They needed a fence for people to be able to step into the field of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and of God and to know where the boundaries were. A more recent example might be the idea that, that Jesus was a moral leader. And that instead of being divine, Jesus just provides us an example of how we live morally. That Jesus was a good man who lived a good life and who just gives us an example of what it means to live a good life and treat other people. Friends, as we think about these other examples or these other theologies or, or understandings of God and who Jesus is, I'm here to say that that's not the God that you and I worship in Jesus Christ. It's not the God that we proclaim in the Apostles' Creed. It's not the God that we are able to claim who is our Father and who is our brother, and we are His. Hebrews 1, chapter 1 says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. See, as Christians we believe, and I appreciate the way that Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, makes the connection between the Old and New Testament and what it means for us to be followers of Jesus Christ and God. As Christians, we believe that the Old Testament does more than, than just tell us the history of God's relationship with His people Israel. We believe that the Old Testament tells us about and prepares us for the coming of Jesus Christ. And so in the Old Testament, if we read it through that lens or through those eyes, that we are able to see how God chooses to reveal Himself to the people of Israel through His actions and through His covenants and for the way that He spoke to them through the prophets and through the priests of Israel. And in the Old Testament, we see how His plan was to maintain covenant and relationship with His people who were imperfect and who were incapable of keeping covenant and relationship on their own. Friends, if there's anything that you and I read the Old Testament we can see God's covenant, we can see God's relationship, but we also can see that the people of Israel needed a Savior, and we are reminded that we need a Savior. They needed Jesus to fulfill the Old Testament promises of the law, of the Jewish priesthood, of the sacrificial system in the temple. They needed Jesus to embody all of the righteousness of God. And so all of the Old Testament as we read it, as followers of Jesus Christ, point our eyes to Jesus. Who is the Son of God? And so last week we talked about how Jesus and, and God relates to us and how God has chosen to be our Father because we've read scriptures where Jesus calls God our Father and, and we've remembered how, how Jesus has chosen and God has chosen to relate to us in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in Jesus we're shown that God wants a relationship with us. And as we read the scriptures, we're reminded that Jesus came for all people. For Hebrew and Greek, for Jew and Gentile, and, and through the Scriptures, were given us the opportunity 
to decide for ourselves who Jesus is and who Jesus was for us. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, uh, Jesus, it says, uh, when Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the human one is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. He said, and what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus replied, happy are you, Simon, son of Jodah, because no human has shown this to you. Rather, my Father who is in heaven has shown you. I tell you that you are Peter, and I'll build my church on this rock. The gates of the underworld won't be able to stand against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Anything you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven. Anything you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Then he ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. So Jesus has, has been challenged by the Pharisees in this morning's scripture at the beginning. In this scripture I've just read, previously in Matthew 16, he's been challenged by the Pharisees and the Sadducees to, to demonstrate signs to prove who he is. And so after engaging them, the scripture I just read to you, Jesus has withdrawn from the land of Israel. And so you can see on the map, he's gone up here where the really, really big dot is in the upper right portion of the screen where it says Caesarea Philippi. There he's asked the disciples, who do the people say that human one is? All right, so a quick context. Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi. This is north of Israel. Caesarea Philippi would be known as the Las Vegas of biblical times. So what, stays in Caesarea, or what happens in Caesarea Philippi stays in Caesarea Philippi. And this location is central for pagan worship and for idolatry, and for worship of other gods. And so at Caesarea Philippi, Herod the Great had built a temple in 19 B.C. to honor Caesar Augustus. The temple was built in front of a cave that you're going to see an artist rendering on the next slide, where basically it's a cave right here in the middle where it's called the Grotto of Pan. The cave was believed to be the location where the Greek god Pan lived. And so Pan was the Greek god of sex and of lust and of bestiality. And so goat, goats would be sacrificed outside this cave in this temple. And then the, the goats would be thrown in the water and offered as a sacrifice. And so in biblical times, in the time of Jesus, rabbis would teach that under no circumstances would anyone who was a faithful practitioner of the Jewish faith was to go to Caesarea Philippi. It's Las Vegas, y'all. And so I think it's amazing for us to think about this story as we think about today what we are reading in the Apostles' Creed, Jesus Christ being Son of God and being Lord. It's amazing to think that Jesus has taken his disciples there. Where they're in the midst of people who do not share in their form of worship. They're not amongst the people of Israel. They are in the midst of foreigners. They're in the midst of people who, who likely do not share the common language that they speak. They are in the midst of people who are practicing religion, religions that are far different than their own. And Jesus took them to this place. As they're surrounded by other gods and as they are surrounded by other events that are going on, this place is about as far from the temple as you can get from the temple in Jerusalem. And so he says, who do the people say the human one is? Some say John the Baptist. 
Others, Elijah. And still others say it's Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus presses the disciples and says, well, who do you say I am? Friends, picture the setting. Picture where they are at. Picture that Jesus has taken the disciples somewhere where they are encountering and they are surrounded by so many faiths and so many other things that are going on. And it is there that he's posing to them this question, well, who do you think I am? He's taking it a step further, isn't he? He's taking this question and he's making a question more uh, than, than what about the disciples believed. It's more about what their belief is as opposed to what they're hearing from others. He's not saying, what are you hearing that others think about me? What are you hearing that others are saying about me? This is now Jesus now saying, what do you think? In essence, it's a heart question. It's a heart question for them. It's a heart question for us when Jesus is saying, who do you think I am? In this very place where pagans and idols are being worshipped, Jesus is asking the question, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the living Son of God. or The Son of the living God. He's the Messiah. He's the one who can raise Lazarus from the dead. He is the one who himself was raised from the dead. He is the one who is both fully human, as we read in the Scriptures, as well as fully divine. He is the one who came to live and to die and to sacrifice himself on our behalf. What makes us Christians in our belief and in our practice is Jesus Christ who we declare in the Apostles' Creed as one of the statements of faith of who we are and of whose we are. And Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, summarizes so perfectly for us who Jesus is and how He fulfilled all of the promises. Not just one, not just two, not just a scattering of promises in and through the Scriptures. Hebrews tells us who Jesus is and of how He fulfilled all of the, the, the prophecy and the foreshadowing and the anticipation for the coming of God through the Messiah in the Old Testament. In the past, God spoke through the prophets to our ancestors in many times and in many ways. In these final days, though, He spoke to us through a Son. God made His Son the heir of everything and created the world through Him. The Son is the light of God's glory and the imprint of God's being. He maintains everything with His powerful message. After He carried out the cleansing of people from their sins, He sat down at the right side of the highest majesty. Friends, this is Jesus Christ Himself, who is God Himself, who has come to bring the very light of God's glory, not just to be around, but to be among us, to be in relationship with us, to guide us, to direct us, to lead us, to journey with us, and to offer us forgiveness and grace and hope and everything else that we can get only from Him. He's not a separate being. He's not someone that, that, that just came and, and taught something good and showed us to live a moral life. He's God Himself who loved you enough to come to this earth and to offer you forgiveness. And to offer you life. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. 
Paul wrote this, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. Friends, God sent His Son not as an accident, but it was part of His plan to offer us relationship, to offer us hope, and to offer us Jesus. Because Jesus is the heart of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a follower of God and what it means for us to receive the hope that comes through the gift of the resurrection. Amen.